Blog Talk Radio. Islands and things like that, they're all true. We call the low country and everywhere else that the Gullah Geechee be. Happy Labor Day, Hunter Chillin. We're glad that Hunter tuning in with we. This year, the Queen Quet, in case you ain't know who I be. I the head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter to take this year Labor Day for tuning the Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station, where we the gee upliftment to the living legacy and the pay ancestral homage. We're so glad that this year, even one more again. We're going to dedicate this program to all and children where we march in Chucktown for the labor union strike back in success. We want to dedicate this program to all the Gullah Geechee man where we pull my car We want to make sure we dedicate this to all them where they've heard of the first ILA form in Chucktown. So let me take a moment of silence. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. We're so glad that Hunter Chillin' the day we won more again this year month right here. Last month we had we tune up and thing like a daddy for Hunter Cracky Teeth but Gee and thing like a daddy. And we hope say Hunter Chillin' still the going to Gullah Geechee Nation 
dot com. We blog for follow we and Hunter can see we live this blog but how Hunter can continue to geek because all of the black philanthropy month goals ain't be met just yet. So if Hunter chillin' a guine you wanna to gullagichination dot com and click on that link for the Queen Quet you'll see them different blogging thing and then see the other rest of the link for what we still a raise money for and thing like that. And that include me getting ready for going back out on the Gullah Geechee Save the Sea Islands World Tour. This year, time next week ain't going to be no broadcast because I going to be in the air going on to the UN one more again. So I going to this month, got next time going to an event, UN related event this year month, got to go to the UN itself for another event next month, and we got something else for going to in December. So please make sure you go on your honor to go fund me and you can see the Queen quit going to the UN link right there and Hunter Kiki. Otherwise if Hunter tries to retweet, you can go on to QueenQuit.com because some of y'all say, well, you know, I don't like to give money online and things like that. I don't stand. So you can go to QueenQuit.com, Q-U-E-E-N-Q-U-E-T.com, and yet how Hunter can help we and support this Save the Sea Islands World Tour, yeah? And you can always email we direct to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at A-O-L. Dot com. And so throughout this year month, it's going to be a lot of work to wind on for make sure Hunter Chill and Yeti, who we the be and thing like that, they already want to raise funds for this year. So for all the listeners who are there around the world, we're in the listen live and things like that, but to download this year, share them through your social media and all that kind of thing, you download them. But with the iPod and iPad and all the rest of things like that. Thank you, thank you, yeah. We're so glad that while we keep the show to grind because so much of chilling. See me all the rest of the places and let me know you're yeti something on Gully Geechee Rhythm Radio or you're watching for Gully Geechee TV and if it make a difference to Hunter and who Hunter to be. So that's why we still keep them grind. So we sponsor the Gully Geechee Sea Island Coalition, which you can always become a member of at gullahgeechee.net. Gullah Geechee. Dot N-E-T, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. Ain't no I and Geechee if it a we. So thank you, thank you to all the hundred children with the support me and things like that. Now, we ain't going to start off to deal with all these events that are going on this year, month of September. But we going to focus on these year, where part of we fight for continue for hope and we land. So I'm going to crack my teeth in the way so all on the chill account stand. So, to get overstanding for all my listeners around the world, whether you speak gully, you speak Ichi or not, that's why I'm going to use this language that most of y'all are familiar with so your translating devices can at least attempt to get it straight for you. Well, one of the things that's always interesting at this time of the year for me after having done several different broadcasts about Labor Day in the past is what to do next, because we've done so much on the background history of what is Labor Day, why did Labor Day come to be, and all of that. So I wanted to focus on the labor of love fighting for Gullah Geechee land and why that is such a fight, because it is attached to the labor movement and the historic legacy of that movement or lack thereof. Most times, if you know anything about Labor Day, one of the first things that will come to your mind are unions. And we're now not talking about the Civil War where we're talking about the Union versus the Confederacy. But somebody else might say, or are we? Because we're talking about something called a labor movement coming in 
in the same era of time that many would also call Reconstruction, right after the Civil War, where a lot of other immigrants, a lot of Anglo people of various kinds, Caucasians of various kinds, were concerned about men in particular, not the women per se, but the men wanted to make sure they had the same opportunity as the next man to be able to have a job and then, as they say in America, had the right to the pursuit of happiness. Now, see, America never promised you could be happy. They just said you could pursue happiness. So now, when people started working, there was a mass movement of mechanization, industrialization that's going on during this time frame that the Civil War is happening and thereafter. Remember, this is part of the reason, part of what went into the brother, the war brother against brother, the North against the South, the Union against the Confederacy. They wasn't having no love for no black folks, if that's what y'all are thinking, that that's what the Union set up is to make sure that there wouldn't be slavery. No, it was a political move because we were talking about the economic structure and how it would develop in the colonies and then what is now the United States of America that the Gullah Geechees have dual citizenship in there and in the Gullah Geechee Nation. So when we start talking about the Gullah Geechee Nation itself, which goes from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, and having that dual citizenship, when we talk about the workforce opportunities when people are not self-employed or entrepreneurs and business owners of themselves living from their own land, they go into that American system of the workforce, many of which cannot join unions because North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida are all what we call right-to-work states. Now, I've heard this, as we would say, numerous times and wondered what is that terminology all about, and when did it come about? And so in preparation for tonight's show, I wanted to go and do what I do all the time, go and get some background, do some research. So most of what you would read about the labor movement is that it grew out of a need to protect the common interests of the workers, and that those who were in the industrial sector, which mostly in the states I mentioned, weren't industrialized. They were still rural and they were still agricultural. And agriculture is really in the forefront of my mind after having just come from the Muscadine Festival, the Williams Muscadine Festival that happens in Neesmith, South Carolina, which is in that really getting into that western boundary of the Gullah Geechee Nation part of South Carolina um, over the weekend. They have an annual celebration so that people can come out and you pick or just purchase the muscadine grapes that they grow. But multiple generations of the family are educators. What do they teach in the public schools? Agriculture. Okay, y'all watch Gullah Geechee TV later on this week in the next couple of days, and you'll be able to see an entire episode to learn more about that. So we're talking about driving through a whole bunch of farmland still here in South Kakalaki. Cotton, soybean, corn, grapes. We just finished with all the tomatoes and all these other things. People are planting greens and things now, getting ready for the fall, winter crops, you see. So it's interesting because 
just reading that alone, that the labor movement grew out of the need to protect the common interests of workers and these workers primarily being industrial sector workers, I knew full well then, hey, that excluded my people for the frame of time that we're talking about. Not that it was any surprise, because truly it was just prior to the Civil War that labor unions started really getting a foothold around 1827 with the Mechanics Union of Trade in Philadelphia. What's going on with black folks? What's going on with Gullah Geechee's? They're still part of the enslavement system of America. They are the industry, you see. So they are not yet citizens on paper. So we're talking about a time frame in which we don't play a part in that story and that legacy. But right after the Civil War, the ILA, the International Long Shoreman's Association, was formed in Charleston, and they still have a very powerful voice on this coast from Charleston all the way down to Florida. And so it's very interesting to me that, of course, the water to bring me to water, why take me back, that that would be the labor union that did get a foothold and is still standing on those feet. Now, I thought very quickly about that, very hard about that, very intensely about that, and wondered, one, what other labor organizations actually exist in these right-to-work states? So when I actually looked up South Carolina labor unions online, the ILA is not even listed there. Internal order of the police is listed there, which, you know, we all know grew out of the paddy rolling system. The South Carolina Education Association, which is questionable. The South Carolina State Employees Association, now that one I have to look into. The South Carolina State Firefighters Association and the South Carolina Troopers Association. That's the state troopers, so we back up to the police again. And then there are, you know, others that said, well, okay, if that's who they have listed in South Carolina, Wonder who do they have listed in Georgia and Florida and North Carolina. Well, in Florida, there's a little bit more. They have iron workers. They have machinists. um, They have the service industry. They have electricians. They have operating engineers, and all of them have their own unions. And there's a, a little bit of a longer list than what South Carolina has put out and promoted. And then I thought it very, very interesting to actually find out a little bit more about some of the recent history that went on in Georgia. Because although Georgia has some unions, there are articles online that say clearly that the unions, and this is the title of an article, unions have little bargaining power in Georgia. And this comes from them talking to someone who is an educator there. And so they said in Georgia, public sector employees don't have a say in the conditions of their employment. We don't have the right to bargain our contracts, negotiate our benefits, or have a say in our working conditions. 
Now, some of you who've been in unions, like I've been in a union, you probably say, well, what kind of foolishness is that? I mean, if they do have unions there and if their educators have a union like South Carolina, how come somebody would make that remark and, and look, let's be realistic? You see that there's, there are schools all over the United States that have failed. The actual physical buildings have everything from leaks to asbestos to mold growing in there, and South Carolina has been a featured part, the central piece of a documentary called The Corridor of Shame, The Corridor of Shame. And so it is the district that Congressman Clyburn is over, actually, and so, of course, he doesn't particularly care for that documentary. But so that's why they tried to push the Gullah Geechee Corridor more in terms of publicity so that people turn their heads away from the Corridor of Shame, but one could say they parallel now um, or intersect. And so it's it's interesting to know that people would have to work under whatever conditions it is, whatever state the builder may be in, you'd have to work there. And so you'd say, well, what kind of foolishness is that, especially when you hear the term right to work, you see? So it's like, okay, so, yeah, I have a right to work, just like I tell you, you have the right to pursue happiness. Doesn't mean. So interestingly enough, only last year, 2017, North Carolina was debating whether the words right to work should be added to their constitution or not. It's already in the constitution of the other states that I've already mentioned and and about 24 others in the United States. So they will actually have a vote in November of this year to figure out whether state law governing union activity should be added to the Constitution. And the law, which would be a constitutional amendment, will ban employers from requiring their workers to join a labor organization or pay dues to a group. That's what the right to work is about. Okay? So... Some in Florida will say, well, we've heard this term at will or right to work. Which one is it? Well, I went and looked at the definition that actually is located online under one of the employment law attorney sites in Florida. And it says this, quote, the most common misconception is when an individual believes that the concepts derived from at will employment are labeled as your right to work. While this is incorrect, these two concepts do overlap, and it's very important to understand the principles behind each one. And so he makes it clear that Florida is an at-will and right-to-work state. That's possible because the two terms mean completely different things. Florida is an at-will state, which means that you or your employer can terminate your employment relationship for good reason, bad reason, or no reason at all. It leaves the door wide open on both sides. This obviously has its advantages and disadvantages, he says. But an example of that, uh, then they go on to talk about uh, right to work. The right to work means that your employment cannot be affected by your decision to join or refuse to join a labor union. So, see, they have the right to work outlined already in the Constitution of Florida. They have it in Georgia and they have it in South Carolina. Now, the application of law, the interpretation and application of law is what's always critical. It's always the critical point. 
And so when we don't know what the law is even defined as or is defined in such complex terminology that we don't know does it affect us or not, do we have to adhere to that or not, the herein lies a problem. Well, as I mentioned, there are 27 states in the United States that prohibit union security agreements between companies and workers' unions. That means there are 27 states that are right-to-work states. So although North Carolina has a vote to put the wording in, they have functioned essentially as a right-to-work state all this time, just like South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida have been doing. They're voting to add terminology to their constitution at this point where others have already done that. Interestingly enough, Florida was one of the first places to actually implement this right-to-work state component to their constitution. So I automatically figured there was something sinister, (laughs) one might say, behind that having happened there. So I said, well, let me do a little bit more delving into what actually came about and why did this come about because I suspected that this addition to these constitutions had taken place during the time frame of Reconstruction, when in South Carolina you had predominantly black, a predominantly black Congress here in South Carolina. Our General Assembly rewrote our Constitution at that time. So now I knew there was something going on. So I figured it probably grew out of all this angst and everything of the Reconstruction era, Jim Crow era, and why people still push so hard for it in a lot of the southern states. And sure enough, it didn't take long for me to uncover that the right-to-work laws originated in the 1940s, which you know was still an era of segregation and Jim Crow. And a lot of it had strategies in place just to try to continue the Jim Crow era. So you had a lot of white supremacists that were involved with being the ones to push the agenda to get this wording put into these state constitutions. So the first states that actually enacted these were Arkansas and Florida in 1944. Okay? So God bless the dead. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., said, quote, in our glorious fight for civil rights, we must guard against being fooled by false slogans such as right to work. It is a law to rob us of our civil rights and job rights. Its purpose is to destroy labor unions and the freedom of collective bargaining by which unions have improved wages and working conditions for everyone. Wherever these laws have been passed, wages are lower, job opportunities are fewer, and there are no civil rights and Quote. Now, 
Let's talk about that. Many of you have read the various articles at GullahGeecheeNation.com that I've blogged about Dr. King's work here in terms of the human rights, the civil rights and human rights movement in the Gullah Geechee Nation and what we can gain from the work that he did right here in particular on my home island, St. Helena Island, and then, again, in Charleston County, and not just all the way in the Deep South because many times people are well aware of the Deep South but they have no idea about his work here in the Sea Islands, and it's critical that people are well aware of the work that he did here and the outcomes of that work. So people have to begin to look back, Sankofa, go back and fetch it. Look backwards in time to realize where you're headed in the future or where you even are in the present moment. South Carolina is one of the lowest wage paying states in the union from what I was last told in terms of the United States wages. So Dr. King was not wrong in what he said all those years ago. He was a visionary. He was a leader. But how many people remembered what he said? How many paid attention to it? Look at what happened with the Pullman Car Porters Union. How many people really supported what they were doing? How many people stood up? with a Philip Randolph, or how many thought, oh, man, this guy is off the rail. So we look back in hindsight as 2020 and say, oh, look at the work that they did. Look at how much they knew, and wow, look how much further ahead we could be had we listened. Well, the interesting thing about it in this case in regard to where Gullah Geechis are is coming out of the Civil War, we're already landowners because many of us own land already during the Civil War in South Carolina, and then some did in Georgia and some got it rescinded in Georgia. Florida, people didn't really start to be able to own land there until after the Great Migration when people started going to port cities that had already been built up there in Florida, whether it be on the Atlantic Ocean or down near the St. John's River and were able to find jobs along those, and that's how come many of them ended up in the ILA. A lot of people left out of Savannah, Georgia, as Gandhi dancers laying tracks and also Pullman car porters then to actually ride the rails and serve people aboard them. And that was ways that they had decent incomes and steady incomes to then have homes and have some money to retire on and raise their children, send their children to get higher education so that they didn't necessarily have to do subservient work and work of servitude, and that's a good and a bad because it's gotten to the point now where many people only think that everything they do requires them to be paid, and that injures the community because if your knowledge base and your brain drain happens when no one from your community uses any of the expertise to simply volunteer to be a part of the proper upliftment of other community members, then your community will suffer and it will start to die. And other community people will come in and see the value of resources you have there. And their culture and community knows that they have to give of some time and energy. You don't always just give money. And believe me, your expertise is worth more than most of the communities could pay you. And so when you bring that in, you can continue to then be an active part of the things that will structure 
what kind of labor force will exist, will structure what kind of economy you have, what kind of industry you have in your community. Otherwise, people have meetings without you there to plan your future. And I'm telling you this because of the seat in which I sit. I get to go into many of these meetings, but I know there's a whole lot of other ones that they ensure that I don't attend because they can't buy me off. But those who get bought off get to go to those meetings so that they won't come back to any other meetings or they can do a perfunctory exercise and say, we had this many black people in there. We had this one somebody there for Gullah Geechee and then, that person not really a Gullah Geechee, they're a commissioned person or something, and just say, well, oh, this person's on there. So that means anything that we do to the rest of them now, uh, it should be all right, because by the time we get the backlash that we're doing something in the community that's antithetical to the Gullah Geechee culture, that person's going to be nowhere to be found, or this group can now just keep saying, but so-and-so told us and point the finger over there, but he said that we could do this. And so herein lies the problem when you're fighting for land and fighting for legacy. If people don't realize that their work and their expertise in their work needs to be given many times within the community, that's a problem. If they want you to pay them for every little thing that even benefits the very area where they live, that's a problem. The other issue is then why are they so hungry for money, as some say. Some are just point-blank greedy. They could have $2 million in their pocket cash. They're still going to want you to pay them for something. The thing is that the wages are so low, they're in such a struggle to try to make sure that every little note that they have to pay is paid, that everything that they do, if they have any time between jobs, they want to also monetize it. Because now if they don't have the money to pay for the taxes, which are coming up, this is now September, October, the first uh, Monday in October, land auctions will happen and people's land will be sold off if they have not yet paid their land taxes, which have now been compounded by fees and all kinds of stuff, interest and all kinds of stuff that gets loaded on by the counties. But many people say, well, why the person can't pay that? That ain't but $500 or that ain't but $1,000. Well, if you make minimum wage, $1,000 is a lot to get to. That's a lot of hours work. And when it's a right-to-work state and not a union state, there's no group collectively fighting for you to get an improvement on those wages, to get any type of advancements in those jobs in such a way that you actually make a living wage. So it's what you call wage slavery. So you have landowners that are now wage slaves, but many of themselves put themselves in complete and utter bondage because instead of making sure that what they do is try to come together as a collective, as our ancestors always did, and then build homes and things out of pocket, meaning as you make a certain amount of money, you buy a certain amount of supplies until you build up all the supplies you need and then get your home built. They go and they get these mobile homes. They love to see them coming because if in any way, that they can turn around and attach that mobile home also to the land if you for some reason have a clear deed and not living on a family compound. 
they will then not only take that mobile home back, I don't care if you just paid 19 years of mortgage payments and you have one year left, they'll take it back as soon as you miss those payments and now they own the land and the mobile home. And they'll resell that mobile home to somebody else for almost what you already paid. And so here it is, if you mortgage, you get a mortgage and have a house built, it's already attached to the land. And the land is usually the collateral that you got the loan on. So default on that, or they call your marking. And again, you've just lost a whole legacy of land. So it's a consistent labor of love to try to uplift people while also educating them about their land rights. It was interesting last week to sit in a meeting again about the St. Helena Island Community Preservation District. I served as a chair for that committee for five years. I served as a chair for the St. Helena Cultural Protection Overlay District Committee for five years. I did 10 years of time, is what I tell people, for Beaufort County, South Carolina. Now, many of the people sitting in the meeting weren't living here at that time, and then another group of the people in the meeting were too young to really have been engaged and involved in those kind of issues at that point. They're just awakening to getting involved in the political arena now because of their age. But here it is. There was a bunch of people in that room older than me that never came to one meeting to learn anything about what was going on at that time. But they just kind of, I guess, just thought on autopilot that St. Helena is staying the way it is versus all the other islands around us that have become gated. And now they're outraged and concerned because no matter how far back and down a dirt road they live, somebody's sending them letters and the local destruction air is hunting for property all over the island and trying to get people to give up their property. That's not new because they feel that if in all this time you all haven't collectively come together to value what you have and you have these few people who have gone away from home come back and are shysters who have come back to sell off the land from other individuals here and try to get it rezoned, that they could just offer a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks to you and you could be one of them too and you will take it and then you will have to move off of your land because you will not have the wages that it takes in order to sustain that land, whether that is to sustain what is built on it or to sustain the land taxes as the other shysters help to bring in things to industrialize your area. Ah, we're back there, right? Come full circle, literally. A lot of y'all say 360 when y'all mean 180. I mean 360. Now, the current industrialization is actually the big box store. So now you have these massive monsters that are cookie cutters that you can go anywhere USA and find that same store so you have an idea already what they sell, Okay. They don't even they do commercials, but they don't even need that many commercials because just about everybody knows that big box store you can go in and buy just about any and everything. But when they come in with their multi million dollar enterprises, the land around them goes up in value, it gets reassessed. And that reassessment now is what will be used to increase 
your taxes, which could now cause displacement from the land. So here we are, still fighting to hold on to land in the Gullah Geechee Nation. This is how I spend my labor day, and a labor of love trying to educate those and enlighten those who are willing and able to listen and to grow and to know and who are willing now at the age that they are in their time of enlightenment to sit in a meeting and realize the work that was done over the period of a 10-year time to try to keep things in place for such a time as this that they got awakened to say, oh, we didn't even know somebody did all that work. Yes, not on autopilot. Unions don't operate on autopilot. They operate because they are those who pull together and who toe the line. If there is a strike, they toe the line. Oh, oops, bad word. Florida doesn't allow you to strike. So remember that list of unions that I said Florida has? Right. They also say the unions can't strike. So where's the power there? The power is always in the people, but it's up to the people to recognize they have the power. doesn't matter what movement it is. People need to realize more so than money, it's about the movement. Dr. King and those were not multimillionaires, but they went out there and they used everything they had, blood, sweat, tears, knowledge. They worked night and day to fight for such a time as this, a day that he didn't even live to see coming but knew it would. But now are we towing the line? Are we living out the legacy on the land that people died for to have unions for black people? Because these initial people put these right-to-work laws in place to try to make sure the black folks were not going to be the ones engaged in this process of upliftment. Now, you might say, well, well, this is interesting. You know, again, telling you, a critical time frame, reconstruction, and uh, periodically on the show you're going to hear me talk about that some more. You have information out here that even talks about the fact that in 1866, 1866, you're talking about one year after the U.S. Civil War ends, the National Labor Union declared it would admit members regardless of an individual's color or nationality, believing unity was the key to union strength. Okay? But the affiliated unions continue to still segregate the workers. So the white ones came in on the one thing, the black ones came in under something else, then the white ones didn't was always talking about how they couldn't have these, you know, what's taking a job, okay? Frederick Douglass, the great orator, supported a colored national labor union to organize then against the discrimination by the employers and the labor movement itself. So here they have to have a movement of a movement, a movement against a movement. And this has happened over and over time and time again, ad infinitum. Whenever a group of people of color, whenever a group of black folks stand up for their rights in a unified force, somebody 
tries to use semantics, like in the case of people using Gullah Geechee and not dealing with adding the word nation, to distract you so that you don't engage in the real movement for land rights and human rights, because if nation is not on there, then you're not dealing with nationhood, and you're not dealing with international law. You are still stuck under domestic laws that may have never been written by or for you. And so, therefore, you can go on and continue your right to pursue happiness and your right to work. But how is that fairing for you? See, you have to want all your rights, and you have to fight for all your rights. And when you don't understand what that fight is about and what that movement is about, get behind the leaders and learn. And if they can't explain to you what they're supposedly leading, that ain't the leader. It's simple as that. So we have a movement that has the start of the colored national labor union in order to work against the discrimination that's going on within the labor union, labor movement. And people, white people, who still were not going to pay Negroes, as we were called at that time, because many of them did not believe slavery should have ever ended. And I would dare say that there are some that still don't feel slavery should have ended. That's why wage slavery is still so prominent. So here it is that the next Labor Day we may go into more depth about the Colored National Labor Union, but tonight I wanted to just at least pique your interest and have you go and do some more research on the black people who stood up and became parts of unions and whose lives were threatened and who people, you know, tried to beat them down and stuff when they would go in and take the jobs and do the jobs and do the jobs well because folks weren't giving us none. And I'm of the James Brown school. I don't want nobody to give me none. Just open up the door. I'll get it myself. But there have been so many years now, generations that we have been fighting to kick these doors of equality open and then to keep them open. And so the choice now is yours. What labor of love do you have besides something that just personally benefits you? Whose rights do you fight for besides those of just your individual self? Is this a time in the world that we still have collective people fighting together and taking a stand? I see it, but more often than not, I see it now in multicultural arenas under the term diversity, more so than I'm seeing it, unfortunately, in the black community. I'm not seeing it that way now because some of us think we're American. Some of us think we've been accepted already. Some of us think we made it. Made it where? Email me, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. Please let me know where did you make it to. So it's critical right now for the Gullah Geechee Nation that when we talk about the labor movement, that we talk about the human rights movement because we still have so many people who cannot maintain the ownership of land if they are heirs to property because the labor industry has so few jobs, as Dr. King said it would, and the few jobs that are available have very limited pay. 
and that's why most of the time people ask me about presenting in various parts of the Gullah Geechee Nation, and we have to ask them, what's your budget? Because they never offer what a budget is. And then when it's more than, when you say there's no way in the world that I do something for twenty fifty dollars they look like they're offended because to them that's a lot of money because they've been accustomed to these low wages for so long. They don't actually realize what other people make in the real world. People make twenty five and fifty thousand dollars if they're Anglo males that go and do speaking engagements like what I do. You see. Per hour, not per year, they make that kind of money. Even some African-American males, depending on if they're a former president, now former congressman or current congressman, athlete, even entertainers, you all would go even at an HBCU and give one person $30,000 to come speak. Why? Because that person is a radio personality or something. But then turn around and those who literally are fighting to hold on to land and legacy. You don't want to give them even a thousand dollars because you don't see the value. So that's why a lot of the work has to continue simply as labors of love, because there's no overstanding, there's no understanding. The same way I said was done to A. Philip Randolph and to Dr. King while they were alive. People now read what they wrote and what they said and talk about the visionary, but he's gone. And you contribute money to Amazon and other places where you buy the books and the speeches. But that money's not going to their families. So these are the things that we have to learn is that freedom ain't free. And it does take a financial contribution, but it does take dedication, persistence to win the fight. And that's our right to fight for our rights, is our right. And so I pray that this show enlightens you. I pray that you share it with others. I pray that if you're not in a union, that you don't look screw face at people who are, and that you start to really learn more about what unions are about. And then unify. Be a part of some collective with some other people. And so to that end, I hope that I get to meet some of you who are interested in being a part of some of the major work that we're doing to uphold the Paris Agreement that was signed by numerous countries at the United Nations, and all of which are still working toward the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement for Climate. And the U.S. is the only administration that claimed they are not going to continue supporting and they're going to back out, which they can't really back out of. And so there are a number of things coming up over the next few days that are critical to this. We're having a rally this coming Saturday, September the 8th, on the State House grounds in Columbia, South Carolina, for the climate and for jobs, okay, for the climate and for jobs. So we're not just talking to be talking. We're there to pull the people together to unify the people. I'll be the closeout speaker on that day. The event is going to start at 9 a.m. It's going to end by noon. 
right at the state capitol in South Carolina in Columbia. And so definitely come out, come out with your banners, come out with your clean energy shirts, your climate change things, your sea level rise posters. Bring your groups, bring the children, bring the family. They're going to actually be musical artists as well that will be in between each set of speakers during that three hours that we'll rally. There will be a number of our partners of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, including Oceana, that is going to be there. And this is going to be a major rally that's going on by some folks up in the Midlands that are pulling folks together about what we need to do in terms of the climate here. And so keep following GullahGeecheeNation.com throughout this week, and you're going to see some more postings or a lot more details and other things about that coming up. Then... I'm heading on out on the Gullah Geechee State of Seattle's tour. I'll be making a stop at the International Heirloom Expo in California. I will be speaking there on September the 11th, and then I will be part of the Global Climate Action Summit, which is an outgrowth of the Paris Agreement and is going to bring together a number of people who are literally on the ground pushing to make sure that we affect and affect the climate in a positive way so we can change the climate of thinking that we can continue to do to the earth whatever we so choose and that we're not going to have outcomes from that. And so I'll be presenting there as part of the cultural heritage mobilization on the 12th and then a closeout speaker for the closing plenary on the 14th. I've been invited by their governor to actually be there to speak on the 14th. So it's wonderful and to be able to work with, again, many of our global partners who were there at COP22. So once again, keep following GullahGeecheeNation.com and Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook at Gullah Geechee on Twitter. Gullah, G-U-L-L-A-H, Geechee, G-E-E-C-H-E-E. There is no I in Geechee if it a we. So Gullah Geechee on Twitter, Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook, GullahGeecheeNation.com. Follow those, and you'll be able to keep up with all of these different things. There's going to be a number of papers that have come out and missions we want people to do, retweets that I really pray that you will do while I'm out on this leg of the tour, sending out information so that we can galvanize more of our people and unify more of us to work together because this is our critical issue right now. And many of the people who are involved in the environmental movement they do not make major salaries. They are not the million-dollar-a-year-making folks. And so they truly work to save the land and the environment as a labor of love. So please make sure to support this effort. I'll come back to Carolina to be part of the Carolina's Resilience Conference, which is going on again at the state capitol um, from September the 17th to the 19th. I believe they still have space that you can register, so you can just go online, Carolina's Resilience Conference. There will be a number of the members of the Gullah Geechee Sustainability Think Tank that we will be presenting there. And then I will head southward to Florida down in a part of Florida where there were other people who were part of unions down there, in fact, in the ILA, that supported the last 
part of my tour that ever came down through those parts officially, and they are I'm coming back down there to the University of Florida in Gainesville this time on September the 25th, so we have a little bit more time, and we'll be announcing that and talking more about that. But this entire month, we're focusing on a number of different things in regard to our environment, and with the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, the Gullah Geechee Fishing Association, and the Gullah Geechee Sustainability Think Tank, we have been doing water monitoring through a project called the Earth Echo Challenge. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. And if you're educators, especially here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, and you're near bodies of water and you can work with some of your students or you go out into the field like our people at the South Carolina Marine Educators Association do, and you can do some water monitoring, please email us at G-U-L-L. G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, GoGeeko at AOL.com, and we will get you one of our Earth Echo kits. We have a few more kits left to distribute to some of our partners that are educators and so that they can engage our students in this Earth Echo Challenge of water monitoring, what kind of foolishness that we would live on sea islands and literally live in the ocean and then not want to know about the quality of water and what kind of things are changing that. Because of climate change, we're seeing a lot of things that scientists did not think they would ever see, like the acidification of the ocean, but they're also seeing other things shift and change in a way that shows that there is some ecological imbalances in some areas, while other areas are still what folks like to call pristine. So we need to keep monitoring that to see where we are with it and to know what our behavior on land does and to affect and infect our water. Because World Water Monitoring Day is actually September the 18th. So we'd love to get a bunch of schools to test things and get the information put in to the Earth Echo Challenge system while I'm out on tour so that we can come back and then hear what that reporting out has been. Okay, so World Water Monitoring Day is officially September the 18th. And again, we'll be tweeting, we'll be posting, we'll be blogging about all of this and a whole lot more that is in store. But we definitely want to thank all of you who thought it not robbery to take Labor Day to truly do with it what it was for, to honor those who have been part of the labor movement. Those of you who say, well, I didn't even have the day off. I worked. I salute you because you are in the labor force. But I pray that you make sure that your blood, your sweat, your tears, your hours of work, your labor, actually is beneficial to someone in the future. Our ancestors did that when they dropped every blood, sweat, and tear into the soil of the sea islands. They dropped pieces of their soul into the sea islands. And so we need to still continue to stand for their legacy in a unified way and work together, chillin'. Don't you get weary. The great camp still a meet right you in this your promised land. This your promised land of where we be, Kadisha, the nation for the Gullah Geechee. So, Hunter Chillin, I'm so glad that you spend one more Labor Day right here with me. This year, the Queen Quet head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee nation. So glad that Hunter take the time one more again for tuning to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Thank you, thank you to all the Hunter Chillin. God bless you, and keep on doing what you do for fight 
for we rights and make sure you take a stand and always you know I could be right you ready for hold upon the land. If you want to reach me, go to queenquet.com and read us, follow me at gullagichination.com, Nation on Facebook, and that's where I'm going to take a look and see if you're taking a stand, and I hope so. Oh, I'll shout then, because it'd be mighty grand. Peace and blessings to all Hunter children. Enjoy the rest of the holiday. I'm queen,